your Bibles, go with me to Judges chapter 7. Judges chapter 7. Uh, so you know, on the screen, we have a little bit of a typo that took place in our, uh, uh, in our slides. It's not Judges 17, it's Judges 7, okay? Uh, just so you know, um, and uh, it wasn't able to get corrected before this last service, so there you go. Judges chapter 7. There's about 25 verses that uh, I, I want to take the time to kind of walk through. For the sake of time, uh, we're not going to read it all, uh, but I want to be able to kind of read the first portion of it so that we kind of get this storyline that going, um, and then we're going to read the back section of it, and then it's going to kind of launch us into, into some of the things that I want to talk about this morning um, uh, that, I, that I'm believing are really going to help us as we launch into uh, the second week of this series, this series minus one. Verse, uh, chapter, chapter 7, verse 1 says this, Then Gideon and all the people who were with him arose early and encamped besides the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them by the hill of Moriah in the valley. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into your hand. They'd lined up, they were camping because they were ready, ready to get into to battle. Lest Israel boast over me, saying, my own hand has saved me. Now therefore proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remained. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Take them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. And anyone of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, shall go with you. And anyone of whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you, shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink and the number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouth, was 300. But all the rest of the people knelt down to drink water. In other words, what they did is they, they knelt down to the stream like this. They drank water like this. The 300 men that Gideon had left, they picked up water and they drank it like this. There's a reason for that. We're going to talk about that in just a few minutes. The rest of the story will go on to tell us that with Gideon's 300, God was going to do a great miracle. He was going to win this battle that they were getting ready to engage in. Gideon would be a little bit fearful in a, in a, in a moment of this storyline, and so God would send him down to the Midianite camp to which he would overhear a dream that had taken place and then what somebody was saying that dream meant. And from that position, Gideon would know that this was God's moment, this was God's hand on him and this faithful 300, and they would go into battle. That's where we pick up at verse 16. And he divided the 300 men into three companies and and he put trumpets into the hands of all of them and empty jars with torches inside the jars. And he said to them, look at me and do likewise. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then blow the trumpets also on every side of all the camp and shout for the Lord and Gideon. This morning as we continue on in our series Minus One, I want to speak to you from the subject, The Final Countdown. The final countdown. As we look at the story of Gideon and what his moment of subtraction teaches us, will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that it's alive, that it's powerful, that it's active. God, that it changes us from the inside out. It's upon the hearing of your word that faith is produced. It's upon the hearing of your word that we start to experience your presence and your grace. Father, we know that where two or more are gathered, you are in their midst. And where your spirit is, Lord, there is freedom. And we know that who the sun sets free is free indeed. 
And so, God, this morning, I declare freedom over this church. I declare hope, peace, and joy. God, this morning, I pray that as we dig into your word, that you would teach us, you would strengthen us, that you would give us everything we need for the journey ahead of us. Thank you for every single person that sits in this building this morning. I pray that you would bless them. In Jesus' mighty name. Come on, and the church shouted. Amen. Amen. The story of Gideon is probably one of my most favorite stories. Um, it's a story that in Bible college fascinated me. It's a story that I read uh, every year as I, as I work through uh, getting, uh, reading through the Bible and in and, 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 and different moments. It's a story that I love preaching on and have been able to preach from it from all kinds of different angles. But as I went back to the story of Gideon for this series, I realized that this is the ultimate story of subtraction. It's the ultimate moment where God uses this thing, subtraction, that we've kind of, uh, we're digging into in this series to, to purify, to, to do a new thing in Gideon's life, and to ultimately teach him some things. If you missed last week, I want to encourage you to get onto our podcast, but this whole series, Minus One, is our way of tackling this idea that God uses subtraction to actually bring the greatest amount of addition into our lives. Right? God takes away things in order to add things. And while many of us start out the beginning of the year trying to add everything to our life, we ask the question starting last week, what if there was something that we sought God on and said, what is it that you're actually really wanting to take away from my life? And it's in the subtraction that God brings addition. Come on, everybody shout addition. Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, but it takes subtraction. Come on. <laughs> The story of Gideon is this played out for us. The story of Gideon is about a man who, and we'll dig into this in a few minutes, who was really actually a pretty fearful man. I think for a lot of us, we can look at Gideon as we jump into chapter 7 right here, and we can say, man, this guy's a stud. I mean, he's going out there. He seems to not really say anything about what God is doing, and he's going to go into battle with 300 men. But as we dig into this a little bit more and highlight some things, we actually realize that God is doing some significant things in Gideon's heart and mind because of who Gideon is. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. But what I want to do this morning is I want to I dig into three truths that we need to understand, that we learn from Gideon's moment of subtraction. And in that, what is uh, looking at what God is trying to teach us personally. So if you want to help me out this morning, can you just shout number one for me? Number one, the first thing that we need to understand, the first truth that we need to understand is this. God uses subtraction to confront what we rely on. God uses subtraction to confront what we rely on. Psalm 62 verses 5 through 12 tell us this. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from Him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up, they are together lighter than a breath. 
put no trust in exhortation. Once God has spoken, twice I heard this, that power belongs to God and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love for you will render to a man according to his work. This whole piece of scripture right here is about God being a rock, a fortress, a refuge, our centerpiece, our everything. Now last week we talked about this idea that he, Jesus, must increase in our lives and we must decrease. We're continuing on with this idea, asking the question, what is it that you rely on? What do you rely on? I mean, have you ever sat back and taken an account of what you rely on? What things in your life produce reliance? Like for me, I rely on my wife. And the husband said, four of you, you are all in trouble, okay? (laughs) I rely on my wife right? She's smart, she's beautiful, she's articulate, she's strong, she's all of these things, and I rely on her. But I got to be careful that I don't rely on her too much, right? Lest I move away from relying on the one person I'm always supposed to rely on, right? She relies on me. Why? Because I'm me. (laughs) Just playing. Lightning bolt. Um, But she's got to be careful not to rely on me too much, lest she removes The reliance that is necessary, first and foremost, and that is upon God. We rely on our friends. We rely on our jobs. We rely on finances. We rely on all kinds of different things in life. I want us to ask the question, what do I rely on? What do do I truly rely on? Do I rely on God? Because I think for many of us, if we're very honest, if if we were just like deathly honest about our lives... I would think that for most of us, for many of us, including myself, there are a vast majority of moments in our life where I actually don't rely on God, I rely on everything else. I rely rely on everything else around me to produce what it is that ultimately God is trying to produce in my life. And if I'm really, like, just brutally honest, I rely on myself more than I rely on anything else. And this is what God is trying to ultimately deal with. Now, if we go back to the storyline in the scripture we just read, Judges chapter 7, we see this interesting transaction take place between God and Gideon. And he says this, I am going to strip away from you 22,000 men, lest you believe you won this battle. Why? Because God uses subtraction to confront what we rely on, and more importantly, the issue of self-reliance. Come on, let's just be honest in here. How many of you have had an awesome day? Like, I'm awesome. You ever been there before? Right, where you like, like fundamentally believe you're awesome. You, you know what I'm talking about? We laugh because it's like, oh yeah. And some of you are like, I'm having that today, bro. Come on, you know. <laughs> but have you ever had the day where you wake up and everything is just going well for you? Right, you get out of bed and it's almost like your first four steps are floating. Right, you just get out of bed and everything's good. And you walk out and you just have this confidence about you. You get out of the shower and, and it's a perfect hair day. And you're just continuing on with, this is awesome. I'm awesome. Everything's good. And you go in there and, and your coffee comes out and you get that first sip. And, and your soul awakens, right? And everything is going, it's continuing to go good. And you walk out the door all dressed and everything fits right. And it's looking good. Your shoulders look bright broader today if you're a dude, your chest is out more, right? And everything just, yeah, I'm awesome. And you get into work and everybody's saying hi to you and everything's nice and good. And they're like, you never say hi to me. It must be this awesome cologne that I'm wearing. And so you continue on. And for the single guys, as you walk through the hallway, all the girls are like, hey, 
right? You're like, more awesome. Have you ever had an awesome day, right? Have you ever had the day that follows to prove you're not awesome, right? We've all had that day, that time. And I think for the most part, we struggle with this because we are perpetually placing ourselves in modes of self-reliance. We have a tendency to rely on ourselves. And this is what I want you to hear this morning. It's so important for us to understand about self-reliance is that your self will end. The power that you can find in yourself will end at a certain place, at a certain moment. You will come, you've heard this before, to the end of yourself. Then what? Have you ever taken credit for something that God should get the glory for? And this is what God was dealing with in, in the life of Gideon. He's trying to say, listen, Gideon, you and this army, lest you be tempted to believe that this is on your behalf, I'm about to do something pretty amazing. I'm going to break your army down. And 22,000 guys jump ship. We're out of here. Because the reality is, is that, yeah, we could do some great things as people. There's, there's things that God has put inside of us and he's done and is doing in our lives. We have amazing gifts, but here's the thing that can get really scary, is that our gifts have a tendency to take us to where our character cannot sustain us. It's self-reliance. And so if we're not careful, like Gideon, if we kind of kind of dig between things here, read between the lines a little bit, there's this idea that God wants to make sure that Gideon doesn't put himself on the throne of glory, going, I did this, I won this battle, I led these people, so let's see how you do it when 22,000 of your army go. He's trying to refocus, why? Because God uses subtraction to confront what we rely on. See, God's desire is to be all that we rely on. So the thing that he adds to our lives through subtraction doesn't destroy us. So that we start to also realize some other things. See, when we're not, when we're not in the position of self-reliance, right? When we, when we live in self-reliance, when we are self-reliant, right? When we're doing that type of life, then we have a tendency to be odds-based in our mentality. You ever, you ever thought that way before? You feel like the odds are stacked against you or the odds are not in your favor? And this is what I want you to hear this morning. Self-reliance can drive us to a place where we believe life is the Hunger Games. Come on, how many of you have seen the Hunger Games before? Show of hands. Awesome, most of us in here. So there's this line that caught me when I heard the movie and it says this, may the odds what? And that's how many of us leave, live life. Like we think this is the Hunger Games. So if the odds are stacked against us, Right? When we're self-reliant people, yeah, the odds are always stacked against you. Absolutely 100%. But see, when God is in the mix, there's no such thing as odds. Only favor. Why? Because God doesn't play according to the odds. He doesn't deal with the odds. And this is why he's dealing with this with Gideon, because we're going to rewind now. Track with me a little bit. We're going to go back to chapter 6, because we're going to see a little bit more about who Gideon actually was. Now, the angel of the Lord came and sat underneath the terebinth at Oprah, not her, if you know what I mean, right? Which belonged to Joash the Abyssalite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. Why was he trying to hide it from the Midianites? Well, history would tell us that the Midianites would come in and they would pillage 
this, this family, this clan, this area, they would steal things from them, steal their wheat, they would, and this was like a yearly thing. It was like the movie Ants, right, in biblical times, okay? And so the grasshoppers would come, and the ants would do their thing, and it, you know what I'm talking about, all right? And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. God says to Gideon, who's in this position trying to hide from the Midianites, he calls him a mighty man of valor. Isn't it like God to look beyond what you believe you are? And Gideon said to him, please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all of his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. There he goes again, believing in his potential. Do I not send you? Watch what Gideon says, verse 15. And he said to him, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, but I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. I think that for a lot of us, we live with an odds-based mentality rather than a favor-based mentality. Like the Hunger Games, we only believe that life will pan out if the odds are in our favor. God uses subtraction of Gideon's army to show him that the odds do not matter. When God is in the mix, no matter what we believe, the odds may be anything and everything is possible. And I think it's interesting that God would do it. It's almost like a sick joke. God knows that Gideon's fearful. He knows that he believes he's the least in his family, he brings him to a position where he has all of these men. I mean, if you're Gideon, come on, put yourself in Gideon's shoes for a minute. If you're Gideon and you've got all of these guys, you feel awesome. Right? You feel great. I've got my army. I've got everything you need. And then God steps up and says, hey, by the way, 22,000, they're peacing out. Now all of a sudden, flashbacks of the, of the press, of the Midianites taking things from them. And all of a sudden, the fear starts to come back, and everything starts to cloud his mind. Wait, wait a second, 20, you just took away, away 22,000 of my men. You just took away this, you just took away this. Have you ever freaked out before because subtraction is taking place in your life? Because you believe, because we've got this self-reliance thing, and if I don't have everything I need, it's not going to work out. It's subtraction, subtraction, subtraction. I'm afraid, I'm fearful. But God's saying, hey, listen, this is not the Hunger Games, Right? This is me. This is God. I am everything that you possibly need. I am the one that will sustain you. I'm the one that will give you everything that you need. I am the one who will lead you. I will go before you. I will be behind you. I will be on your sides. I am your fortress and your strong tower. I'm everything that you need. And so the first reason that God uses subtraction in Gideon's life and in ours is because he wants to confront what it is you and I rely on. Let's ask the question one more time. What do you rely on? What are you relying on this morning? What are you relying on this week, this year, this month? Are you relying on yourself? Are we relying on the economy? Are we relying on politics? <laughs> what are we relying on? God uses subtraction in our lives to confront what it is 
that we rely on. Second thing I want us to understand this morning. Number two, come on, shout number two for me. God uses subtraction to confront who we relate with. Uh-oh. It's going to meddle with my relationships now. Great. <laughs> God uses subtraction to confront who we relate with. See, God subtracts again because there was a specific makeup of relationship that God wanted Gideon to have in his life. There was a specific type of character and integrity that God needed Gideon to be around and relate with. So God tested that through his river initiative. The river initiative was simply send all the people down to the river and I'm going to look at how they drink water. And this was actually a really practical thing because God was ultimately going to sift out those who were not the greatest of warriors to be standing with Gideon. And so a large company of the men with him, they knelt down and they drank water like this. So they couldn't see anything that was around them. So the army could see the bald spots like you are seeing right now. I get it. We're working on it. We're praying. 21 days of prayer. And they drank like this. So they were not the greatest of warriors because they were not paying attention. But then there was these faithful 300 who actually knelt down, they grabbed water like this, and they brought it back up and they drank it like this. They were on guard for Gideon. And God said it would be those 300 men that was going to go into battle with him. See, God uses subtraction to confront who we relate with because while we may not have all the relationships in the world, God is trying to bring the best relationships into our life so that we've got some people that we can do battle with. Come on, we're doing the 33 series, men, so we got some guys that we can do battle with as iron sharpens iron because there's some things that we're going to face this year. There's some things that we're facing in our lives and in our generation, and if we can get our relationships right, if we can trust God in this area, he's going to bring the people around us that we need to step into everything that he has for us. See, God uses subtraction to confront who we relate with. Genesis chapter 13, 1 through 18, would be another storyline where God speaks to Abram about separating from his family, Lot. And it actually says that these two were related and there was separation that needed to take place. Why? So ultimately Abraham could be brought into what God had for him and Lot could go his way. See, some of us, this is really fearful for us because this is scary for us. Because we rely heavily on who we relate with. Talking to anybody in here. It's getting quiet in this little church. See, God uses subtraction to confront who we relate with. This ultimately comes down to relationships and ultimately comes down to being set apart. And this is probably one of the hardest truths for us to assimilate into our lives because we have been designed for relationships. However, we have to understand that the relationships that we have should never be the type that bring friction to our relationship with God. Let me illustrate it this way. In my life, if I wanted to destroy my life tomorrow, it would be a near impossibility. I've got enough people who are really good friends of mine, who are really involved in my life, that to destroy my life would be a near impossibility. Like, I couldn't wake up tomorrow, Seth, he's, he's my best friend. I couldn't wake up tomorrow and be like, Seth, you know what? I'm going to throw it all away. I'm done with this thing. I'm, I'm, it's over. I'm done with it. Seth would be like, you're an idiot. <laughs> he doesn't care that I'm his pastor at that point. 
He just cares that I'm being, I, I would destroy, I can't destroy my life that way. I've got too many guys around me that are around me saying, hey, come on, there's a destiny on your life. There's a purpose on your life. There's a calling on your life. And I'm not going to give you safe space. I'm not going to be the type of friend that does this. Well, it's your life. Do as you do. Come on. See, a lot of us, we have a tendency to bring people into our lives that never challenge us. We don't want iron sharpens iron. We want jello to bounce off jello. <laughs> Come on, it just got real in here. <laughs> but see, when iron sharpens iron, there's a clash that takes place. There's friction, sparks. To have those type of relationships in your life are the things that produce strengthening. Have you ever watched an iron forger forging iron, forging a weapon? Clank! Clank! Sparks are flying. Friction's being made. It's the way the iron is strengthened. So when the psalmist says, iron sharpens iron, it's his way of saying that there is friction and it's violent. But it's those type of relationships that take us in to everything that God has for us. See, Gideon didn't need thousands upon thousands upon thousands of men. He just needed 300 men who were going to be there all along with him, watching, waiting, being engaged, being involved. Who needs thousands when you have 300 crazy people at your side? <laughs> right? It says that 22,000 were afraid. That's potentially 22,000 that just like, oh. And they run. Everything starts flying, right? He starts yelling. Those 22,000 are gone. They're pacing out or they're dead at best. So God knows what he's doing. But let's take it a little bit step further. Let's take it a step further. The Bible uses this term, big term, consecration. Better known as being set apart. To consecrate yourself is to be set apart. Throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, we would gather the, the information involved with this piece of the puzzle of our lives, and it was God's way of setting people apart. He used to set the priests apart. If you get into Leviticus and places like that, there was this consecration, this washing, this anointing, this all, all these different things that had to happen in a priest's life so that they were set apart, so they could do the thing that God had called them to do. We would fast forward. Jesus, he would be our ultimate priest. He would die upon the cross. He would defeat death, hell, and the grave. He would get up he would be the ultimate high priest. Hebrews would tell us that. And in that, he is saying, I am now setting you apart. But you got to take an active involvement in that. Paul would write, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is Good, acceptable, and perfect. What's he saying? Consecrate yourself. Set yourself apart. Come on, can I talk to the single ladies in here? They got really quiet. They're like, what are, what are you about to say? <laughs> Set yourself apart. Set yourself apart. Get to this place where you believe. Not that you're just a princess and you're awesome and all those different things. We're not talking about self-confidence and self-reliance. I'm a daughter of the king. Bro, you don't step. I am consecrated. I am set apart. There is a rule and a rhyme and a reason for my life. And if you're going to step to this, 
you better know that I'm looking to see what it is that God's setting you apart for. Set apart. And I'm watching a lot of amazing people. Come on, this church is growing in, in amazing ways. Both, both services, and I'm talking to singles and people who are in this place in life. And, I'm, and I want to tell you this. Don't give up God's best for the world's average. Don't give it up. Maybe you're in here this morning and you're coming, you, you've, you're, you're divorced and you're going through this process and, it, and I know it's painful and, and you've got a lot of stuff going on. You may be asking yourself, is there ever going to be a, another person? Does God have a best for me? He's got a best for those who set themselves aside. Come on, you're set apart. Husbands, men, single dudes, teenagers, allow yourself to be set apart. Believe and know that there's a purpose upon your life. See, God uses subtraction to confront who we relate with. And when we are set apart, we realize that the pool gets a little bit smaller. The pool gets a little bit smaller. Okay, let's clarify something. Wait a second, Jason. Aren't we supposed to love people, though? Aren't we supposed to engage with people? Aren't we supposed to have friends and, and everything like that? Yes, absolutely. But here's the question. Do your relationships draw you away from God or push you closer to God? Because I watch a lot of people in the name of relationship find themselves distancing themselves from God, all in the name of his grace and love. Be careful with this type of life. See, I'm at the place in my life, one, where I kind of just don't care what people think anymore of me. That's why I show you my bald spots when I've been down. It's all right, okay? But I'm kind of in this place where I have a little bit more security in certain areas. So I can step into relationships, and they're not going to influence me. I'm going to influence them. The question is, is can you do that? I had a buddy in Australia. Loved this guy. For lack of better terms, you would call him an evangelist. And he would always get flack from, from students especially. Never, never the faculty. Because he had this uncanny way. He would go to bars and to clubs. That, that was his thing. Like, he'd get done studying, and that's where he'd find himself at nights, bars and clubs. And people would say, aren't you a Christian? Aren't you this? Aren't you that? You shouldn't be there. But he had this amazing gift to sit down next to somebody or be in the club and actually lead them to Jesus. So we had all these people from bars and clubs and sports places starting to flood into church because he was leading them to Jesus. All of a sudden, the church became the club. Everybody's like, hey. And like all these, why? Because all these people were coming. Why? Because he was secure enough to put himself in an atmosphere where he could influence, not be influenced. And so Gideon finds himself in the process of subtraction so that God could get the right people around him. Let me ask you this question. Who's around you? Show me the five closest people in your life and I'll show you your future. Who's your fave five? Who's on the top of your dial list? Who's the first five texts from? Who are the people that you really communicate with on Facebook? Because you sure as heck don't have 2,500 friends. I'm just saying. <laughs> God uses subtraction to confront who we relate with. Teenagers, can I talk to you in here? 
We don't have a youth ministry on Sunday mornings. If I could just be the, the senior pastor for a minute. We don't have a youth ministry on Sunday mornings because we believe around here that what happens in here is just as much for you as adults as it is for our teens, right? I believe that we got some Davids in here. I believe that we got some Gideons and some Joshuas in here. And so our teen ministry, this is your teen ministry. Welcome, all right? And all the older people said, amen, okay? <laughs> you just became a teen today. Don't let relationships rule your life. Allow God to give you and to surround you with the right people so that you can step into everything that he has for you. Gideon was a young man. Joshua was a young man. David was a young man. Our relationships are so important. So God uses subtraction to confront who we relate with. Number three, every shot, number three for me. God uses subtraction to confront how we are resourced. God uses subtraction to confront what we rely on. God uses subtraction to confront how we are, who we relate with. And God uses subtraction to confront how we are resourced. Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 to 22 says this. And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to them, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. And he said, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your mother and father, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Watch what the young man says. He says, I've kept all of these. In other words, he's having an awesome day. <laughs> he's right there. I've done all this. What do I still lack? You ever been there before? What do I still lack, Jesus. Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess, give to the poor, you have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. See, Jesus right there was trying to use subtraction to confront how this young rich ruler was resourced. We get to the end of the story with Gideon. Gideon finds himself with 300 men, crazy albeit, from everything that he had. Think about this process. Put yourself there. Come on, I want everybody just to close your eyes for a minute. Imagine with me. Here you are, Gideon, standing in a valley with thousands upon thousands upon thousands of men. A stadium full of an army. And God says 22,000 are leaving you. And they walk. Come on, picture this. Could you smell the dust rise as 22,000 marching shoulders leave your company? Could you feel the fear start to build up in you when all of a sudden you're left with 10,000 men? Asking yourself, how am I going to lead this? How am I going to do this? How is this going to work? And then God, in the moment of fear, his voice penetrates once again and says, now take this company of men, bring them down to the water, because I'm going to sift it again. Come on, keep your eyes closed. And imagine with me now leading your, your army down to the riverbank, wondering what this is going to look like. Is it a hundred? Is it, is it a thousand? God, what, are you going to do this again to me? 
And all of a sudden you watch as soldier after soldier after soldier after soldier drops to their knees, drinking in a manner they haven't been called to drink. And standing before you is 300 ragtag men with their hands at their mouth. And then God says one more time, let's get crazier. When you go to battle, you're going to have torches and jars and trumpets. I want you to drop the swords and the spears. I want you to drop the weapons of death that you would normally use and I want you to pick up a jar and a torch and a trumpet. This is your resource. This is all that you have to fight this vast army where if you read the scripture it says their camels were everywhere it looked like the sand of a seashore you could not number the vast army of Midianites and 300 men are supposed to go to battle with you picture where you would be standing how you would be feeling I want you to look at me when I say this. God uses subtraction to confront how we are resourced. Why? Because God can always do more with less. He can always do more with less. We're sending Aaron and Andrea to Phoenix. Back to Phoenix. And upon first hearing the news, I thought to myself, man, it's just a small group that came to plant this thing that's grown into what it has. Small things. The Bible says this, who would despise the day of small beginnings? God takes the little and he makes it much so why does he confront how we are resourced because he wants us to know that you may not have everything that you want you may not have everything that you need you may not have everything that you desire but when God is in your corner this isn't an odds based game anything is possible he took 12 knucklehead disciples and he turned the world upside down he took a murderous rampaging man named Saul and he transformed him on the road to Damascus and he made him Paul he took a young man with five smooth stones and a slingshot and he defeated an entire army he just may be able to take you and do something miraculous in the world he just be able to take your family and do something beautiful in this world he could take your disaster and turn it into something beautiful he can use you he said to Moses what's in your hand a staff go change the world with it Come on, he taught, let's go Old Testament to New Testament. He took Timothy, a young, timid leader, and he put Paul in his life, and he said, come on, fan that gift into flame. Come on, let's see that thing rise up to the top. You're going to do some great things. He took a bunch of knuckleheads and axe, and all of a sudden, Pentecost, and people were getting saved left and right. God has always done more with less. Who are we should doubt what God can do with just a little if we would just give it to him and say, God, here I am, the little, the less, do something amazing with it. Do something amazing with it. 
Why is he shouting all of a sudden? This guy's over here just staring at me. <laughs> because we don't get this. Come on, we step into church every single weekend and we get to this place. Oh, I'm hyped up right now. We gotta get this, we gotta understand this because a lot of us are gonna walk out these doors in just a few minutes and we're gonna say, no, he can't. He can't do that. Look at my situation, look at my circumstance. And I look across this room and I don't see things that can't be done. I see what can be done. And maybe I just need to stand here this morning with you with my hands held in my mouth saying, I'll be one of your 300. We're gonna do this together. We're gonna change this city. We're gonna overcome that addiction. We're gonna get through this pain. We are gonna make it. Why? Because God is our resource. He is our everything. It is possible. Church, I love you just enough to make sure I yell at you in this moment. <laughs> so that you get this. We don't need a church that sits back timid, believing that we don't have anything to give this world. We need a church that says we've got everything to give this world, and his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. It's the name that's above every name. It's the name to which every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. It is the name that gets me up every single morning saying, I'm going to do this again. I'm going to keep on swinging. I'm going to keep on going for it. It is the name to which we stand and rejoice. It is the name to which we worship. It is the name to which we pray to. It is Jesus. Come on, let's stand to our feet. Come on.